This week on The Rail Splitter, we're going to be talking about presidential photography with Pete Souza. Frontier of hope and possibility. In excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. What's up? And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Rail Split Nation? To all of you who are clearing out your SD cards, getting ready for that winter photo season, you might want to put it on pause and take a listen tonight. <laughs> and That's a lot of also, pressure. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, and we also have with us this evening a very, very special guest who was an official White House photographer for Ronald Reagan from 1983 to 1989 and was the official photographer for the funeral services for Reagan in 2004. He spent some time as a photojournalist during the war in Afghanistan. And in 2009, he again became a White House photographer, for this time in the, as the official White House photographer for President Barack Obama, and held that position for both of 44's terms. He's published the best-selling photo books, Becoming Barack Obama, Obama, An Intimate Portrait, Dream Big Dreams, and Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents. Pete, Souza, thank you for joining us, and welcome to The Rail Splitter. Well, thanks for having me on. So uh, we wanted to talk about a couple things. Of course, we definitely want to talk about the history of presidential photography and your place in that history in the pantheon of all of the um, great presidential photographers, um, including Matthew Brady, who's, uh, of course, kind of looked at by many as the uh, first or uh, father of presidential photography. But we'd also like to hear a little bit about your time, uh, of course, um, as the official White House photographer. Um, and then, of course, what that might mean for historians and learners of history. So uh, I'm sure the first question you probably often get right away is, what is Barack Obama like? But uh, I'll reframe that a little bit to more ask you about your process in while you were the White House photographer. To what degree do you feel your photos captured what President Obama is really like? Yeah, I think my um, uh, self-imposed marching orders were to make authentic photographs. And, um, and I tried to do that every day. I mean, basically I think my job description was, uh, show up in the morning when he comes over to the office and shadow him the entire day, uh, until he goes home at night. And there's some, some nights that I, you know, would follow him home if there was, uh, or, or would, would photograph him after dinner when there may be, you know, events or meetings. Um, but my, I, I, I just tried to be all in uh, for every moment of his administration because you just never know when, when history is going to unfold and you never know when a, uh, a, a fleeting moment is going to reveal itself. If you're not there, you're definitely not going to make a picture. So would you, and it's kind of interesting to me, because I remember reading that like President 
Obama had mentioned that, well, one, he very famously said, I probably spent more time with Pete Souza than anybody other than my family over those eight years. Um, and looking at your work, it kind of feels like like you, you've brought your viewer in almost like you're a fly on the wall to the presidency. So how did you kind of like, did, like how did you balance that and how did that kind of emerge into a relationship with the president? Well, it's, um, you know, when I first accepted the job, I, I said, you know, I, I needed to have access to everything in order to document the presidency for history. And he understood that and, and, and agreed. But then again, you know, put yourself in his shoes what would it be like to have somebody tagging along with you all day, snapping, you know, snapping photos. So there's certainly an adjustment adjustment period in him getting used to me always being around. And, um, you know, over the, you know, and I I think I have had a good intuitive sense on, uh, you know, when to give him space and and so on and so forth. Um, and, And, you know, by the end of the, you know, first six months or eight months, probably he, it was like, whatever, you know, this guy's going to be here. And, um, it, it was never really, uh, was never really an issue. So, um, I don't know why this like sticks out in my head, but I remember reading, I think it was when there was a, a concert on the, on the grounds of the white house that in, um, Brandy Carlisle had played there, and I remember uh, reading that the president said, "Like, oh yeah, you know, Pete Souza turned me on to, to Brandy Carlisle." So, how does a conversation come up where you say, "President Obama, you should check this record out"? Like, <laughs> like you know, so like, is that kind of indicative of your relationship with them, or was that uh, was there? Music yeah, that was the second part. Of, like, that was the second part of your previous question, which I didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, my role was to be an observer and to, uh, to visually document his presidency. But I was also there for every emotion that he went through. And there's no one else that sort of crossed all the different compartments of his life and knew, you know, what he was, what his emotion was from hour to hour throughout the day except for me. I mean, I, not only did I photograph the, you know, meetings in the situation room, but oftentimes I would photograph him with family on the weekend or, you know, social events or I, you know, I was sort of in everything. So I sort of knew his, you know, moods and emotions better than, better, better than anyone. And I think because of that, uh, every once in a while, um, I could say something to him, um, almost always when when uh, no one no one else was in the room because I didn't I didn't want to be a participant right but you know if you're the only person in the room and you he look you're a person and he looks at you as a person so it would be in the, in those occasions now I have to admit that I lobbied Brandy's music for for him and um, when she played the at the White House, I was the one who went and lobbied the social office for for her to perform on the Fourth of July concert, um, and um, and yeah. I, but you know, if he didn't like her music after I introduced him to her music, he would have like told me that too that he didn't like it. You know, 
Uh, I mean, the, the, the night after, you know, this is post-presidency in 2017, 20, no, earlier, gosh, that, I guess that was this year, earlier this year in March of 2019, when Brandy performed at the Grammys. And, um, uh, and I went. I was in the audience. And, like, right after she performed, he sent me a text message, you know, that she had crushed it. So, you know, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't really mean it. So this got to be such an interesting relationship to have with a person because you're like literally it's got to be a weird dynamic because you're there to capture history. But you're also there with all these moments. So a friendship has to form. How does one balance those two things in a professional as well as a personal um, manner? Yeah, it's it's a it's it's an, a unique uh, relationship in that way because really, um, I would say that uh, you know somebody said to me in one of these podcasts or interviews that um, they referred to President Obama as, as as my client. I was like, no, he wasn't my client. My client was the American people because all these images that I was making. Um, end up in the National Archives, every single one. And so, you know, that, that I always felt that that's who I was photographing for. I wasn't photographing for him. Now, obviously, a lot of my images are used by the White House in the moment for social media and things like that. But that's a, kind of a small part of the job. I mean, the, the, the most important aspect of the job is that you create this body of work for, for history. So... It, in, in terms of the relationship, I mean, it's it's uh, if you're a photojournalist, um, I mean, it's not the same, but it's similar. If you're a photojournalist and you're working for a publication and you're assigned a really in-depth story over the course of you know months, and you're in the real intimate situations with this person or group of people, you get to be you get to have a relationship with that person. I mean, I, I can tell you many photojournalists who have been in situations like that, once the assignment's over, they continue to um, keep in touch with, with their subject. And I don't, it, it, it's, it's, so I, I always consider it like a professional friendship. I mean, it's not the kind of friendship where, you know, he and Michelle invite me and my wife over for dinner. It's not that kind of relationship. If there's a Christmas holiday party and he's inviting a hundred people, we might get invited. Do you, so, so it's a, it's a different, it's sort of like a, I guess a professional friendship more than a personal friendship. Maybe he would look at it otherwise, but that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, you know, I, I just I think most people who probably work probably have that same kind of friendship. Like I have people I'm extremely close with, but if I was upset and needed a shoulder to cry on or something, I probably wouldn't call them. So I kind of I think I think a lot of us who you know have that kind of professional setting, yeah, you're still close with the person. So um, it's just an interesting dynamic when one of you is the president of the United States. Well, that's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I do think that, um, 
it's just to, just as a, as a viewer of of your work, um, I feel like there's there's a very much of an emotional element to your to the photos, especially the ones. I mean, you you, you titled your book an intimate portrait, and I, I'm sure you chose that title with you know with a very very much purpose purposefully. Um, so when you're looking at that as a photojournalist, like, are you trying to capture the moment? Are you trying to capture the emotion? Like, or is, you know, does it kind of depend on the situation? Um, because like there's, there's quite a wide range of, of work just in that, just in the, in the selections that you have there. I think you're doing many things. Um, I mean, there's, as you can imagine, there are some days where it's kind of like watching paint dry where it's not necessarily, you know, the most exciting situation. It's the same group of people sitting around the same, you know, table, having a meeting, maybe the subject matter is different, but they're sitting in the same place they were yesterday. Um, There's, you know, head of state phone calls, which, gosh, I can't even, I mean, it'd be interesting to count count up the number of pictures of a phone call that I made. You know, hundreds, right? Hundreds, uh, maybe thousands. I don't know. But to me, for the historical part, every single one of those situations is important. Even if the photograph is not one that you know. <laughs> you, you know, I sort of made a uh, that you know where we're sitting right now are the current president is about to get impeached basically for um, or or starting because of a phone call he made to the president of Ukraine. We have never seen a photo of that situation. And to me, those kind of images are important because they would show context. Where is he? Where was the phone call made? Who else is in the room? What is the mood? So all those kinds of things, I think, were in the back of my mind as I photographed him in these, you know, maybe lackluster visual situations. He's on the phone with Putin. Okay, it's a big phone call, but it's just a guy holding the phone up. And yet, I think an image can really provide, um, you know, like I said, context, mood, emotion, Who's in the room? Where are they? Uh, and and so that was uh, a big part of my job. Now, this is a long answer, so I apologize. Um, you talked about the intimate photos, and a lot of those are not from big events or historic events. They're from what I call like little little moments, fleeting moments that happen when you least expect them that can't be recreated in any way. And to me, those photographs show more what he's like as a human being. And I think that if, you know, you said, what's Barack Obama really like? I mean, I think you can get a pretty good idea from my photographs. With that said, being, you know, you're trying to catch context. Did any of you, like the pictures you took, did you do anything in post with them, or did they just get as taken um, and then archived from there? We shot – this is getting into the, the weeds, and I don't know if your audience is, is conversant and how conversant they are in the technical aspects of photography. But 
nonetheless, I'll say that we shot all raw files, mm-hmm. uh, not JPEGs. So the raw files are all in the National Archives. And so even if it's, you know, a little underexposed or a little overexposed or the color balance is off, the original raw file as captured, I hate that word captured, but that's what it is, as captured in the camera mm-hmm. is what's, in, is what's mm-hmm. in the National Archives. In terms of post-processing, I mean, I think there's, uh, for the layman, there's a, uh, the word Photoshop connotates um, something amiss. When the, the fact of the matter is every single photograph that, that is online or, uh, it, it, or in a publication, it, it uh, uh, goes through Photoshop or Capture One or something like that. And it's to uh, open that raw file um, and adjust your highlights, your shadows, your color balance, similar to what you would have done uh, in a darkroom. But, you know, for, for, th- there, for our staff especially, um, we didn't want to do much of anything because once you start messing with a photo, then um, I think it calls into question the validity of everything that you're doing. And so we were very careful to do very, very little uh, post-processing. Yeah, because I would... I teach a class where we do some documentaries and then like I always tell the kids, you know, that initial thing, that's the primary source. As soon as you start manipulating it, now you're creating a secondary source to a degree. Well, there, there's, I mean, see, th- this is where we get into the weeds is, yeah. is what's the difference, <laughs> what's the difference between, you know, post-processing and man- manipulating. Manipulating to me is a dirty word, right? It, yeah. it, it sort of, it sort of sounds like you're changing something which mm-hmm. you can't do. Like you can't put in an element or take out an element. Can you, if you, I mean, I actually shot most of my images on auto white balance because it, when you're shooting raw, you just, in Photoshop, you just, you know, you put it on tungsten or daylight or, and it, and it didn't really, even if you shot it on tungsten and you were in daylight, you could still, you know, reset it to daylight. So I don't call that manipulating. I call that just regular post-processing. Mm-hmm. Manipulating to me is where you're like changing the scene, mm-hmm. which we never would do. Yep. Gotcha. Mary, did you have a question? Um, actually, I do. Um, so I had to look through the Intimate Portrait book, and um, one of my favorite photos in there is when you're with Prime Minister Trudeau in the Lincoln bedroom. Um, I like that one, not only... I'm like thinking of, oh, when they're looking at the Gettysburg address. Yes, yeah, yeah, when they're in the Lincoln bedroom. Um, So I'm actually Canadian, so that's why I like to see that that photo of him. Um, But also the other thing I, it made me think of too, um, in a few of the other photos, like there would be, you know, a portrait of Lincoln in the background or a portrait of George Washington. And I'm just wondering if sometimes when you were photographing, um, you know, what could be a very historic moment for Obama if you would, um, you know, have those portraits in there 
um, like if it was like a deliberate thing you were doing or if it was just where you happened to be standing and if there was, you know, reasons for including those portraits in the photos? Um, I, yeah. It, and, and I, yeah, I always try to include, you know, the, the, I think this comes into context. You know, you're ba- the White House is basically a museum as well as a mm-hmm. working place and a, a residence for, the, for, for them. Um, and so I was always trying to include uh, some of the historic elements in the foreground or background. And sometimes it was for, you know, contextual purposes for the specific photo. But then there were also times where, you know, oh, there just happens to be, you know, we're in the room where there's the Lincoln portrait and there's no real Lincoln connection necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think this is, it's kind of funny because I like forget which images are in my book, but, there's an image that I think is in the book of a bust of Martin Luther King in the foreground and in the background. Mm-hmm. He's meeting with a group of civil rights activists that had just been protesting in Ferguson. And it, that picture honestly took me five years to make because, um, and by that, I mean the way where Martin Luther King bust was in the Oval Office, it was not in a good place to make a photograph, Right. But I was always trying. And then uh, this this meeting happens. The meeting breaks up. And before they walk out the door, they stop right in that little uh, – there's like a little space before they open the door. And um, it was in that moment where I, you know, got down low and put Martin Luther King in the foreground. And that was like to me – all the elements because well, Lincoln's in that picture too. So I mean, here's, you know, mostly African-American protesters after what had happened in Ferguson, got Martin Luther King, you got Lincoln. And so that was like so purposeful. But like I say, it took me a long, long time to, to make that picture. And, and it was always in the back of my mind and the elements just never came together. Uh, I really enjoyed that story uh, specifically because that was the exact photograph we were looking at when we talked about asking you that question. Yeah. So <laughs> it's worked out pr- pretty well. Um, so it is, and, and it is was, in the book. <laughs> yes. Well, and, yeah, and I, I just spent, oh, it is for sure. And, and I just spent uh, quite several minutes looking at that photo. And I was very impressed how you just remembered elements exactly <laughs> was among the millions of photographs that you, that you took in your time. So, um, that's, that's most impressive. Um, so I I didn't want to, I may not remember the second part of a two part question, but I do remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll try that. This one, hopefully, I think this is just a one parter, but, um, you, you seem to be either amazingly lucky or have a super, human skill to like see moments in time like and get the photo like the examples i'm thinking of are like the kiss cam and the spider-man photo uh the fist bump with the maintenance worker um the rainbow photo on air force one were there ever times where you, you didn't get a shot and you're like man that would have been that was gold and i and i missed it or, or, or were these just were you photographing so much that you just had tons of these and just kind of found them well, I mean, I think this is sort of like what I do. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I think of all the pictures that you mentioned, the two luck, well, the, the one real lucky one was the rainbow. And in, in, in the sense that, 
um, the um, he had uh, while we were leaving Jamaica, there was a group of people at the bottom of the stairs, the departing delegation of foreign officials that he was going to shake hands with. And I have, you know, I also, I have to make those pictures as well. And, um, so as soon as he shook hands with the last person and started running up the steps of air force one, I ran probably, I don't know, 50 or 75 feet with my back to where he was running up, trying to like do the math of the angle on about where I should be. And, um, you know, and I, I got to that point, I turned around and he was waving and the, his hand was right in the middle of the rainbow. So there was a little luck there for sure, because, you know, if I had been a foot off, uh, you know, it wouldn't been as good. So that was certainly lucky. The, the Spider-Man one was lucky and um, in the sense that, you know, when he got zapped into the web and threw his arms up in the air, I mean, it happened so fast. But that's what, you know, that's why you're a trained photojournalist is to try to be ready for those moments. You know, there's no, it's, it's a split second. So you got to be, you got to click the shutter at just the right time. And the lucky part was the mirror. You know, let's face it, he's reflected in the mirror. So that was... Lucky, I sort of saw it, but I didn't know he was going to like throw his hands up in the air the way he did. <laughs> but I, you know, I, my recollection is I was, as it was unfolding, I did see the mirror, and I may have moved a little bit. So, yeah, and uh, and I didn't mean to imply that like you got you got lucky. I mean, it was a lucky circumstance when I, no, when I was I do, coaching. I I get, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you do get lucky. You do you do get lucky, and you know, and obviously, if. Uh, there, there are times where you may have been thinking all the same things and, uh, and it just doesn't quite work out. And then you don't put that picture in the book. <laughs> yeah. And well, when I was coaching, I would always tell my teams, bad teams never get lucky. You know, like you, you got to put yourself in a position to, you know, so, yeah, exactly. so you, to have an eye for that and then you kind of get the, the opportune moment. Um, so to, to talk about your, your most recent book shade, um, which is kind of, um, you know, uh, it's very much like your Instagram account, I think, which is, which is, um, a very, I think, unique format for commentary where you simply show photos and, you know, cause I, I the debate could go on and on and on about how one person is versus how another person is. But when you show two contrasting photos, uh, that just really, really, I want to say paints a clear picture, but I think you understand what I'm saying. So how did you come up with the idea to, to start the, that, that kind of unique way to throw shade where you're just kind of simply putting it out for people to look at for themselves? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of started accidentally, not accidentally. It kind of started, um, very subtly. Uh, I think it was two days after I left the White House when I had seen a picture of the newly redecorated Oval Office. And, you know, I thought it looked like a palace, you know, the gold ornate curtains, like not one American flag and one presidential flag, but like six presidential flags and six American flags. And it's like, you know, it looked like 
probably the way his office looks in you know at Trump Tower. And I just thought it was disgusting. Um, I was also, I'll admit, not happy about the election. And so I posted a picture of President Obama. Uh, I think he was seated on the desk of the Oval Office, contemplating. And um, the, the, his red curtains in the background. And I think my caption was just something like, uh, kind of like the old curtains better. <laughs> and it, like, you know, it had, obviously it had a dual meaning. And I didn't know if people would pick up on it. They did. <laughs> and, um, you know, as, as time went by, I s- tried to get more humorous and... Um, and yet throughout the time I would never in those, that first year say what I was referring to. So if you weren't paying attention to the news, the, 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 my commentary was sometimes meaningless. And so it became kind of amusing when, you know, people would comment, what happened? And then. I wouldn't respond. Somebody else would respond, you know, on my Instagram feed. So it was kind of an amusing way to, to throw shade, to, to remind people what, a, you know, a quote unquote normal presidency was like. And, uh, you know, and then it turned into a book where, you know, I, I drew a straight line between the tweet or the news story that had inspired the post in the first place. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's brilliant. And, and I, and I kind of felt like all of your followers kind of were on that journey too, where it kind of got more and more clear what was going on, but, but in a, the subtlety was, was I think brilliant. And it's a unique way to learn about the news. I guess, you know, I read, I'm a well-read person. I read the news, but just not that long ago I had to, I Googled, uh, the centennial, like, you know, Trump centennial, because you had right. posted President Obama. I'm right. like, oh, what stupid thing did he say about a centennial? So, like, right. like that's not the first time that I've learned about a current event through, yeah. through the shade that you've thrown. And I've enjoyed every every time I've done that. It's It's been quite fun. Um, so when you came up with that idea, was there any sort of – did you have to clear that with anyone? Was there any um, sort of – or did you just kind of feel like you had the power to do that since they're your photos? Well, they're, they're, you know, I don't own the copyrights of the photos. They're, they're in the public domain. So uh, it's funny because somebody well, I was explaining this to someone during an interview and, and they were like, well, wait a minute. You mean that I could post your photos and, and do the same thing? And I said, yeah, but you wouldn't be as funny as I would. <laughs> um, but the, the the other aspect is, you know, and you sort of got a sense of that when I described that MLK picture. I some I have this knack for remembering my photographs, and so I'd say most most of the time, and when something happens, it triggers a. Uh, a response in my head, and I know exactly which photo to go look for. Now, there's sometimes where I work, have to work a little harder to find something. <clears throat> but like the Centennial one, um, 
you know, that was actually pretty easy because <laughs> I, I remember that, you know, I remember the, uh, I can't even remember what was the centennial that I chose. Oh, it was the national parks. You know, I remember that we, we did the tour of the national parks and, uh, to celebrate the centennial of the, the national parks. So, does it get exhausting trying to counter every one of Trump's follies with a picture? Like it's almost like I would think there's so much all the time that it's always got to be another job for you. Yeah, and I can't do every every one, and and you know I don't want to like uh, you know lately I've been just doing a lot of throwback photos, and you know like say six years ago today blah blah blah, blah and then people think it's I'm throwing shade and I'm. Not <laughs> sometimes, so that's amusing too, because people are like, "What happened today?" It's like, nothing. It's just this is a picture from six years ago today. You know, dude, you've achieved um, that icon status. Like when a comedian, you meet yeah, the public, and yeah. they're just being serious, but you laugh because they're such an icon. Yeah, it's it's like I think that there's a that, you know there's a lot of talk about the. Um, that likes on social media are not necessarily a good thing. But for me, it sort of validates when my shade postings work. If I, if I have a, I sort of can now tell, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a good one. This is going to get a lot of, a lot of likes. Cause, cause I, you know, it just sort of, it hits the core of what I'm doing on, on, uh, on Instagram. Cause like, I, you know, I'll admit I'm not, some of some of them are probably only amusing to me and not to other 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 people. Um, but usually, I can tell the ones that are going to get a strong reaction. Yeah, and I I mean I think it's it's some of the favorite ones that I've had are where you just you're just simply pointing out a difference. You're just saying like President Obama did this, and there's not even you know one one of them that really meant a lot or kind of um, had a big impact on me was John Lewis. You know, when, you know, the current president had said something about the hero, you know, John Lewis in a negative light, and you just kind of just posted without any comment other than what the president said about Congressman Lewis. I thought that was just so, I mean, you certainly were throwing shade and it certainly was witty, you know, but it was, I also thought it kind of had a nice, you know, a nice building up, I guess, um, kind of going high, I guess, as, as the first lady may, may have said. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it too. I liked um, seeing um, Trudeau and Obama in there last week. After, yeah, that, yeah, because that was in reference to the video at the NATO yep. headquarters where, <laughs> yep. where poor Trudeau was uh, caught on camera, yep. you know, making fun of of Trump with Macron. And yep. did you see the Did you see the SNL skit? This. Uh, I, I haven't night. seen it yet. I, oh, you got to see it. Yeah. It's really funny. I was watching him. He did some press conferences after, um, and my husband and I were oh, watching it. And you, and my husband looked at Trudeau and was like, he's trying not to laugh right now <laughs> yeah. at how ridiculous this is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I think the, the Instagram, what you do on there is, is awesome. Um. So I would like to switch gears a little bit and just kind of talk about um, your role as kind of uh, maybe a historian or a visual historian, contributor to history. Um, 
first, maybe just kind of as a segue into the more of a general history of presidential photography, uh, can you talk a little bit about your years with Ronald Reagan and kind of how how that work may have been similar or different or maybe how it evolved from the 80s to now? Well, I think the two important distinctions are with with Reagan. I wasn't the the like the chief official photographer. Like I so with President Obama, I was the you know the top guy. I ran the office. I hired the people. And with Reagan, I was one of the uh, photographers that the uh, the chief photographer hired, Michael Evans. But then during the second term, he left, and there wasn't a chief photographer. So I did get more access during the second term. I think the 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 role was the same: document the presidency for history. It was on film versus Obama was all digital, so the technical aspects were completely different. The access was not as good during Reagan. It was it was uh, fighting for access to meetings and things like that. As opposed to with Obama, it was just like, I don't ever have to ask to be in something. I was always in something. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's still many images that um, that I um, am proud of that I made during the Reagan administration. And I have a traveling exhibit right now called Two Presidents, uh, Reagan and Obama. And it's um, half the photos are of uh, Reagan and half of them are of Obama and there's some where they're sort of paired because they're in similar situations. And, um, I always felt that, um, the, uh, um, the one characteristic that they had in common is they were, they both had this very even keel disposition, which is probably a pretty good trait, you know, to have as, as, a, as a president where you're not blowing up over every, you know, little thing. Um, I, I think that Reagan was um, uh, res- respected the dignity of the office, um, respected other people. Um, he, he, you know, like, and you look back on history, and you know, that the, there is, you know, the Iran Contra scandal, which clearly. Um, you know, my guess is in, uh, in this day and age, you know, they're, they might've had impeachment hearings about, I don't know, but the difference is like, you know, it wasn't being done to further his own political, you know, career or ambition. It wasn't done to like help win an election. It was, you know, it was done because basically they were trying to do foreign policy, you know, aside from what Congress was mandating. So, um, you know, not to defend it, but it, it is, it, it is a little bit different than what's, what's going on today. Um, and yeah, so, um, is that sort of covered? I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just looking at presidential photography as a, teaching tool maybe, or as a, as a documentation of history. So if historians are looking at them, we just kind of talked about primary sources. I think a good example of how that can work and maybe how it cannot is looking at your really excellent and now famous photo of the Situation Room during the Bin Laden raid, and then comparing that to the strikingly, strikingly similar photo of the current president 
um, during uh, the Baghdadi raid. So can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two photos and how that could impact historians down the road? Um, I don't think they're similar at all. I think they're completely different. Um, one, the bin Laden raid photo was taken while the raid was underway. Mm-hmm. The Trump photo was taken an hour and 10 minutes before the raid began. So who knows what they were looking at? They weren't looking at, they weren't watching the raid. They may have watched the raid, but that's not what that photo depicts because it was taken an hour and a half, uh, hour and 10 minutes before the raid even began. Um, it looks posed to me, the Trump photo. Um, during the bin Laden raid, I was in the room the entire time, all 40 minutes. Uh, and shoot that many pictures. I think I shot 102 pictures, which may, you know, to some of your listeners may sound like a lot. That's not a lot. I was very selective and, uh, and, and when I was making a picture, because my camera wasn't totally silent, it was pretty quiet, but I didn't want to like disturb the, what was taking place. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I sort of disagree with your premise. I think they're, they're, they're completely different. I don't think they're similar at all. No, and just for the benefit of our listeners, when I said similar, I did have air quotes, which you can't see if you're listening, but, um, meaning that like I've, I believe the intent was for it to be similar, um, hence the air quotes. And I also had air quotes when I said during. Just <laughs> not, I'm not trying to be defensive. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I think that that's important to note that um, just because a photo was taken perhaps in the Oval Office of the Situation Room um, could still open it up to maybe a little bit of interpretation, um, which I, I think because of the number, the volume of your work and the access that you had, I think it's, you know, it will be clear to future historians that these, this is a very genuine depiction of what the Oval Office was like, you know, in the early 21st century. Um, well, looking back- there's, there's no, there's like no, like if you were to say, <clears throat> if you were to go back in time much further um, where, where there was like, for instance, all the, all the Lincoln pictures because of the technology of photography then, they're all kind of like posed, right? They're kind of like, here, sit here for two seconds while I open my shutter and make this picture of you. You know, the picture of him at Gettysburg is kind of blurry. It's not like, you know, just that was because of the technology of photography. There's no excuse between the Obama administration and the Trump administration. You know, the cameras are a little better. They're quieter now. Um, but it's not like you, you couldn't have an image of him actually watching the raid for photographic reasons. You know, I don't know the reason. Now, here's the thing. It's possible. I don't know this. It's possible that there are photographs of him actually watching the raid and the administration chose not to release those. I don't know. But the picture that did get released, there's no way he's watching the raid unfold. There's no way. I think, yeah, and of course, you're uniquely qualified to determine that, which I, I appreciate very much mm-hmm. you, you letting everybody know that that's, that's actually the case. So looking at presidential photography historically, are there any, uh, and just to give the listeners just a little bit of a background, the official office of the White House photographer started with the Kennedy administration. 
um, and then has every president has had at least you know has appointed uh, an official photographer except for Jimmy Carter. Um, so, and I know you worked with Michael Evans. Um, those official White House photographers, maybe other photographers, who um, do you have influences? You would say in, in your work and whose work do you look at as kind of people to look at for presidential photography? The, the the history of the office is is a is a little. Um, I mean, there was actually military photographers before Kennedy, and a lot of uh, people say that you know the first official photographer was Kennedy, and I sort of it, this is again this is like sort of um, getting in the weeds, but I really feel the first official White House photographer was Yoshio Okamoto with LBJ and that Nick, uh, Kennedy like Eisenhower before him had a couple of military photographers that were assigned to the white house that weren't necessarily chosen by the administration. And I think why people say that Kennedy had the first official photographer was because Cecil Stoughton befriended Jackie Kennedy and got some really good family pictures of the kids and Jackie and um, but, but even that access during, you know, for instance, the Cuban missile crisis, there's not much because they just didn't have that kind of access. When LBJ was, uh, well, came in after Kennedy was assassinated he ended up not liking the military photographers and hired uh, this guy, Yoshi Okamoto, who had worked for USIA and had gone on a couple of trips for USIA with LBJ. And LBJ liked the pictures, so he hired Okamoto. And Okamoto, to me, set the bar so so high in terms of access and in, in terms of imagery that I think everybody's been trying to live up to the bar that he set since then. And um, hopefully I came close. And I think, you know, Kennedy probably came close. Um, some have not come close. Um, but so, I, you know, Okamoto for me is, is, is the guy that, you know, I looked up to. I never met him. Um, but he was, he, was, he was the guy that really set the bar high in terms of <clears throat> truly documenting the, the presidency for history. And yeah, I also yeah. say, just in terms of the history of the office, too, is before, like I think during the Truman administration, there was a guy named Abby, Abby Rowe uh, who <clears throat> worked at the National Park Service and was photographing in uh, Rock Creek Park one day, and Eleanor Roosevelt happened to be riding a horse. And Abby, I guess, used to have polio, got to talking to Eleanor Roosevelt. She invited him to the White House. And over the next, like, three or four administrations, he became a quasi-White House photographer in, in that he was documenting a lot of the mostly ceremonial aspects of, of the presidency for the national park service. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an interesting 
uh, field, I think, presidential photography, because I think oftentimes the, the subject gets more attention than the photographer, not oftentimes, many, most of the time. Uh, but um, specifically with Okamoto, I'm sure most of our listeners have probably seen an image of LBJ and Bobby Kennedy doing their work. And, and one thing that strikes me is you can see a lot of historians try to describe their relationship, but in, in a lot of those photos that Okamoto took, you can see that contempt and contempt might be a strong word but it, the words it, words are tough for it but you can see it in the photo and then there's also the famous photos of martin luther king in the oval office um talking to lbj which i think is um very very good so uh, it was interesting that you uh, had mentioned him well um, it's, it's 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 one other little tidbit on that is there's uh there was a, a movie about L, uh, lbj that came out i don't know a couple of years ago where Brian Cranston played LBJ and it was really phenomenal. You should watch it. it. It's really good. And as I was watching the movie, um, I was like, Oh my, you know, and they had like a guy that was playing Okamoto every once in a while. You'd see him, um, uh, you'd see him in the, in the movie, but, but it, the scenes that they showed in the movie, it's like, Oh my God, that's like, just like the, the Okamoto photo, you know, it come to life. It's like a, it's like the, the the image came to life, and at the end of the movie, when they were running the credits, I think they started flashing the still pictures of Okamoto, and it was like it, that was like the best part of the movie for me, right? Yeah, that movie is great, and Brian Cranston, of course, is great. Um, and if you ever want something to affirm how terrible the Woody Harrelson movie is, watch that one, and it'll really show you how, how what a good LBJ movie looks like. So. Um, and then, of course, I think Sharon Farmer, I just wanted to at least mention her um, as a kind of a trailblazer in her own right. Uh, she was the photographer for Clinton at a very important time, I think, for, for your field because, you know, her predecessor kind of had access limited quite a bit um, based on you know, what was going on in the Clinton White House. Um, and then she kind of came, um, her and then Eric Draper kind of brought it back to, uh, you know, where there was a little bit more access. And then, of course, the access that you, that you had. Um, I think set set a pretty good precedent. Of course, now it looks like uh, Sheila Craighead, who is the current uh, White House photographer, doesn't really appear to have the same access, um, which which is unfortunate. And I think we kind of mentioned that. So, looking at the the history and kind of the pantheon of photographers, um, are you familiar with Matthew Brady's work? Has do you look at that as any sort of uh, influence on uh, maybe the field or maybe you? Yeah, I don't know that, that it had any influence because, you know, uh, it, it, his images were all made probably with a tripod and um, were, uh, you know, what I would consider portraits, but a different kind of portrait. You know, they're more directed portraits. Um, and it's funny that the title of my book is An Intimate Portrait, and yet there's no, there's no portraits in the book. Well, there's one. There's the I think there's a family photo that's a posed, you know, directed picture. Um, so you know, I don't know that 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 he had um, any influence per se, um, but I think in in his time, you know, back in the 1860s, I mean, that was trailblazing what what he was doing with photography. Um, you know, both with Lincoln and Civil War and things like that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that stuck out to me 
not only the volume of his famous photos, you know, I always say like, I bet you five bucks, you'd get a Matthew Brady photo as a joke because, you know, that was the porch for the $5 bill, but also the, the battlefield photos that he took were shocking. And, you know, it was kind of like historic, similar to the history of like Vietnam having cameras there, you know, shocking really brought it to people's attention, just how the atrocities of war. And I think that that may have allowed future photojournalists to actually do journalism. Like when you were in Afghanistan, you know, what, what you may or may not have been allowed to take pictures of, you know, in order to tell a story, you probably had to take some pictures of some, some pretty, well, that's, um, that's a good point too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think, I, I think I was mostly referring to influence in terms of presidential, uh, you know, documentation that I don't know that, 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 that what he did with Lincoln sort of influenced what I did with Obama per se, you know? I think it goes back to how the technology was so different that you couldn't get in there and take pictures of Lincoln working. Right. Like it was just because it took so long. It it was, you know, it's just, that was, that was, you know, a a lifetime and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two lifetimes ago. And, um, you know, every once in a while I get a question when I do my public presentations, if you could, if you could photograph, you know, any previous president, either living or deceased, who would it be? And I always say Lincoln. I mean, can you imagine if we had images um, with the kind of access that I had to Obama with Lincoln? Oh, my God. I would have, like... I wish I had been born then when the tech, you know, if the technology is what it was today, you know, I just can't imagine those, those images. That's one thing I was thinking a lot about in, in, you know, having you on the show, it's like, Oh, what if we could have captured Lincoln the same way that that Obama Uh, had been captured? Like, I mean, it's sort of like, and and it, and it really made me, uh, think that way when I saw, you know, Spielberg's film, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, you talked about the picture of the Gettysburg Address. Um, we screened Lincoln at the White House. <clears throat> and after the screening, he invited some of the cast and Spielberg uh, upstairs for, for dinner. And at one point, he showed Daniel Day-Lewis the Gettysburg Address. And, like, even though he wasn't in his, you know, he wasn't, he was just Daniel Day-Lewis. He wasn't, he wasn't in character or anything. I have a picture of Daniel Day-Lewis standing in front of the Gettysburg Address by himself, and it just gave me chills, you know. Wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's moving. And and I do think, culturally too there's some similarities i think between photographs of lincoln and your photographs of obama where he was really the first president to be photographed so it gave a human it humanized him in a way to the public i think in a similar way that your work may humanize obama where it's not this larger than life you know figure where you see when you see how he interacts with his wife and you see like a genuine depiction of, of their affection for one another and you see him with his daughters, um, I think that humanized him in a way that was um, needed and, you know, and I think that that was probably a similar kind of culture shift when photography first came out um, with, with Lincoln. So um, 
did you have anything else that you wanted to add about you know presidential photography in general? Your work with uh, President Obama or anything else? Uh, we're getting close to an hour um, of your yeah. time. Or so. No, I, think that, I, th- I think that. I think that. I just to, uh, to reiterate, I think something I said before, which is, I've always looked at that job, the official White House photographer, as um, the most important aspect of it is to document the president for history. And it's not to produce images of the president for social media. And, you know, and yet I'm the guy that you're talking to me mostly because, you know, my pictures from social media. I mean, it just so happened that I was the photographer and Obama was the president when social media exploded. But that is not the, that's not the most important function out of the job. I mean, I shot 1.9 million photos. My goal was to create the best photographic archive of a president that had ever been done. And, you know, and now for generations to come, people will be able to learn about this president and presidency, um, partly through my, you know, my images. And that's why, I just can't imagine what it would have been like to have that kind of an archive with, you know, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I, it's, it's fun to kind of think of the what if there, and, yep. you know, looking at, you know, and, and, and I just, you know, if that was your goal, I think you very much accomplished it. I mean, looking at, you know, I mean, I know you, you took 1.9 million photos and like, a, you know, several dozen of them are looked at it, you know, very well known. So, um, it'll be interesting when, when, because they're all in the National Archives when historians kind of go through them all and, and see what else, what else is kind of in there. Um, but looking at just like you know the, the photos of of President Obama with children, and then you have your photos that you took at Sandy Hook, and then um, photos where he's doing his job on the legislative side. I mean, there's just so many different aspects to to that collection of work, and then to think about what one what what it would have been like to have Lincoln's and then also maybe what we're missing now um and and kind of you know do, do the american people deserve that eye kind of the eyes to see the the oval office through your eyes as as we were lucky enough to um and i believe well i think that's we, a good maybe that's a good point to end on which is that the american people do deserve the eyes but the question is do they deserve the eyes in the moment or not. And the Obama administration, it wasn't me that decided the Obama administration decided they wanted to pe- for people to see the pictures during the administration, not just after. And I say all this because it's entirely possible that there, there are images being made that we're just not seeing. And so we shouldn't necessarily jump to conclusions but theoretically, all those images have to be saved and end up at the National Archives. So you got a lot to, to think about there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Mr. Souza, thank you so much for spending an hour with us talking about presidential photography. Uh, once again, uh, the books are Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents. Uh, Obama, an intimate portrait and dream big dreams. So check them out. 
Um, once again, thank you, Mr. Souza. Happy holidays to you. Um, and to our listeners, uh, thank you for listening to us once again. Uh, we have two reminders. Of course, the first one is to throw shade, then vote. Please don't forget the second part of that. Uh, throw shade, then vote. And then, of course, continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you next week.